Last week we looked at the aspect of listening to the Spirit, that he says, He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. And how important it is for us to listen to the Spirit of God. It is one thing to listen to the Spirit of God. It, it is, um, that's the first step of, of having a proper worldview. That's the first step of, of knowing the fullness of God in our life. And the next aspect of that is obeying what the Spirit prompts us to do. You know, as you, as you live life, we learn at an early stage that there are certain people you don't want to offend, all right? Um, as, as a kid, you learn early, man, I don't, I don't want to get on the wrong side of mom or dad, all right? Um, we hear a lot. We hear a lot of talk about bullying. There's, uh, I'm not going to go there anyway. But there's always been bullies and and bullying and um, some part of um, of surviving in life is learning to keep your distance at the right place and right time. And there's certain people you don't mind offending, and there's certain people you're pretty careful about not offending, all right? Um, I don't know how many of you coming in today from the south on Highway 14, just by the Derby Corner, there was a vehicle sitting there on the side of the road as you came over the hill. And um, it was a vehicle that when you saw it, you said, oh, I don't want to offend them. And we are we are very careful of um, of our offenses, but I really believe that one area that we are woefully ignorant and naive may be a, a better terminology is in this whole realm of offenses to the spirit of God. The Spirit of God is what gives us the power in our life. The Spirit of God is what Jesus told the disciples. He said, I am, I am going back to heaven. You tarry here <clears throat> until the Spirit comes, and then He will give you the power to be my witnesses throughout all the earth. And the Spirit of God is the power behind it. I believe it was last Sunday in, in our well-versed video segment that he alluded to the fact we have bigger churches than ever before and Christian universities and colleges all over our land and, and parachurch ministries and and yet, how are we in the mess that we are in? And I believe that what we're looking at here today really applies to this because we're doing many things 
but we've offended the Spirit in such a way that the Spirit's power is gone in our life. You know what it's like, men, when you grab your cordless drill or impact driver, and I know this is just a handyman kind, it's not the commercial kind, craftsman, you know. Lifetime warranty until the store goes bankrupt, right? Okay. But you know what it's like when when you go to use it and the it barely turns it, the battery's dead, and you're thinking, ah, I hope this other battery is better. And so you get another battery, and you've been there where you put the other battery in, and it's just as dead. Or you've been there when there's power, and you go, yes. I believe in much of Christianity, this is what we are. Men, be honest. Have you ever thought... I've just got this one more screw to put in, and the battery's dying. And have you ever gone like that? How many of you have done it? Okay. And honestly, I think in Christianity, that's many times what we're doing. We're we're trying to get the work of God done. We mean well. We, We have a right purpose, but we are not connected to the power. And it's because we have violated the Spirit of God. And in Scripture, he identifies that we're going to look at this morning three ways that we offend, and and I mean these are legitimate offenses, There are offenses that people may have in this world that are not legitimate. These are what God said, you do not do this to the Spirit of God. I said turn to Ephesians, turn to 1 Thessalonians first. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And we're going to look at these three areas today that, Really, I believe, minimize, hinder, and and even shut off the power of God at work in our lives. And there's nothing more frustrating than, than trying to live the Christian life in the arm of the flesh. Trying to live the Christian life without the power of God. It's impossible. And yet we try and try and try. Notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He's giving exhortations in short phrases and statements. Notice if you look in verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Then verse 19, Do not quench the Spirit. And he goes on and gives other statements. Do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil. But you notice in that, he says, quench not the spirit or do not quench the spirit. 
the word that he uses there is is literally to extinguish to to go out it is not allowing the spirit of god access to our lives it's it's not including him in our lives we know that the bible teaches that when a person comes to the point where they realize they are a sinner separated from God and and only Jesus' life, death, and resurrection can forgive our sins and they call upon Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, that then the Spirit of God takes up permanent residence within them. And so the Spirit of God takes up residence in us And he is dwelling in our life, and we've seen he's in our life to guide us into truth. He convicts us of sin. He empowers us and and all the other things about the, the work of the Spirit that we won't go into now. But just because he is in our life does not mean that we have his power. And in this letter to the believers at Thessalonica, he is saying, don't quench the Spirit. Don't ignore the working of the Spirit. To quench the Holy Spirit is to stifle the voice of the Spirit of God and to suppress the conviction that he brings. What kind of coach would leave his best player sitting on the bench. Some may come to mind in eastern Iowa right now this morning, but what kind of person would reject instruction from a highly successful person? What kind of person puts the wrong type of fuel in their vehicle? Only a fool would keep their best player on the bench. Only a fool would reject instruction. Only a fool puts the wrong type of fuel in. And we as believers have the Spirit of God dwelling within us, and many times we quench the Spirit. It's, it's as though the Spirit of God is in our life, and, and not that we consciously do this, but... We we take off in our marriage and we don't say, Holy Spirit, I need I need you to teach me. There it goes, all right? I need you to teach me to be the husband that I ought to be. We we go to work every day, but how many times, thank you, how many times do we say now I knock that off, all right? My mother used to tell me a lot, knock it off, and I I followed up on it, all right? But how many times do we just, I've been to this job for 15 years, 30 years, whatever. I know what I'm doing. And you know what? We're leaving our best player in the background. We're quenching the spirit. We need to say, God, I need you. I need your spirit today to guide me into truth. I need your spirit today to help me think the right thoughts. I need your spirit today to help me not blow up 
and be a bad testimony to this person. I need your spirit to love this person. The spirit is anxious in your life to step into your life. But most of the time, we're pouring water on the spirit of God. We're not including him. We're not depending on him. Without me, ye can do nothing. We have our plans. We have our programs. We have our traditions. And, and many times in church, and, and it can be right here in this church, we have our plans, we have our programs, we have our traditions, but do we have the Spirit of God at work? I mean, honestly, every day we ought to be continually through the day depending, God, I want your Spirit to guide me. I want your Spirit to lead me. And, and every, every Sunday before we come to church, we ought to be saying, God, may your Spirit do a great work. We're dependent on your Spirit. And every day we sit down to read the Word, Lord, open mine eyes that I may see. But we quench the Spirit. And, and we say, oh, look at I've got the Bible here and I've got these commentaries here and I've got all this online information here and, and all these tools and I can listen to Dr. So-and-so and Mr. Hootie Tootie and all these others and boy, look at all this information. And the Spirit is sitting here and he's saying, you're leaving me on the bench. Why aren't I getting any playing time? And he is the only one that can give us power. And so we're going around and, and we're saying, this, this, might, this might be all right. It might look good. And we're doing it by hand. And you know what? We've come to accept that as the norm. That's what's bad is when no power is the norm, and it's because we've, we've quenched the Spirit of God. We must invite the Spirit and yield to the Spirit and depend on the Spirit and say, God, I need your power in my life. And that power only comes through the Spirit of God. But when we quench the Spirit, when we do not depend on Him... <coughs> And bring him into our life, we quench the Spirit. Now turn to Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> the second offense that we can bring to the Spirit <clears throat> in the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> he is giving exhortation on their practical life, and he's tells them to put away lying and anger and theft and laziness and corrupt communication. <clears throat> and in verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And do not grieve the Spirit of God. Grieve not the Spirit of God. 
to, to cause them to have a heaviness, to cause the spirit to be sorrowful, to, to cause there to be great grief. We do this when the Spirit of God prompts us to do something, and we ignore it. The Spirit of God knows that His advice is right. And when the Spirit of God gives us an exhortation, He prompts us to do something, And the Spirit of God sees us then listen and then go our own way. The Spirit of God is grieved. And he gives a list of things here in verse 31 that grieve the Spirit of God because he knows it's it's contrary to to God's purpose in shaping us to the image of God. That's the purpose of the Spirit. It's to shape us in Christ-likeness. He does it all not to glorify himself, but to glorify Christ. And he says, let all bitterness, that's a long-standing resentment, and anger, that's a smoldering resentment, a deep-seated Spirit of ill will that's continually looking for the wrong and and a selfish, sinful, ill ill temper that simmers. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath, that speaks of um, a storm of uncontrolled temper. A kind of anger that quickly flares up and then just as quickly dies And then he says, all clamor is a loud, insulting language. It speaks of um, raised voices and violent arguments and yelling at one another. And then he lists the sin of evil speaking. To rehearse, rehearse the shortcomings of another person with a critical, fault finding spirit. There's probably no other sin in the Bible that's condemned more clearly than the needless repetition of the faults of other people. And in other words, when this is just a a brief list, but when the Spirit of God sees us carrying on in these manners, His Spirit is grieved within us. His Spirit is like, why are they doing this? The Christian life isn't a list of do's and don'ts. It's just obeying the promptings of the Spirit so He can shape us to the image of God. And I don't think we fully grasp how the Spirit is grieved. There's probably no greater grieving than that of a parent grieving for a wayward child or for the loss of a child. I mean, think of it in this sense. Think of it in the most 
grieving situation that you can imagine. It may be a loved one and the loss of their mate for many years and the grieving process. Whatever you picture in your mind, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing within us. He is grieving. It's not like, oh, well, I gave them a suggestion, but they just, oh, well. No, it says the Spirit of God has grief in its own spirit. And he says, live your life in such a way that you do not grieve the Spirit of God. And you grieve the Spirit of God. And you grieve the Spirit of God. And we grieve the Spirit of God to the point that, that there's no ministry that the Spirit's able to do in our life. And, and we've cut off the power of God. It, it's the simple little things. The Spirit of God prompts us. And we choose not to. And you know what? It's not like a lightning bolt comes down. It's not like we get stricken with a disease. It's not like our car blows up. It's not like anything happens. The Spirit of God is grieved because He says, You sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. So I know what's coming here. And He's grieved over that. And we think, see, it didn't do any damage, Ecclesiastes said, because judgment against the wicked is not executed speedily. The wicked go on in their way. Because judgment against us walking in the flesh is not immediately, we think it's okay. The Spirit of God is grieved in our hearts. Turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, Peter is preaching, and I mean Stephen is preaching in Acts chapter 7, and in his message in verse 51 of Acts chapter 7, he really comes down and Puts the plow in deep, if you please. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do ye. There's quenching the Spirit by not depending on Him, not including Him. There's grieving the Spirit by ignoring His promptings in our life, His leadings in our life. There's resisting the Spirit to oppose, (coughs) to resent His doings, to set yourself against them. Jonah resisted. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I am not going to Nineveh. Paul resisted, and it says in Acts that God said to Paul, Paul, it is hard for you to kick against the promptings of the Spirit of God. That's resisting the Spirit of God. The Spirit was goading him as, as they would an oxen to get it going. And as the oxen kicks against it, it was painful to the oxen. 
And God said to Paul, Paul, you are resisting the Spirit. It is hard to kick against the Spirit. Jesus said, how many times I would have gathered you to me, but you would not. Resisting the Spirit. To resist the Holy Spirit is to willfully reject the teachings of the Word of God and to go a separate direction. An individual hears the gospel, is under the convicting power of the gospel. The Holy Spirit is drawing him to trust Christ, but he refuses, he resists, and he goes his own way. A believer is confronted with the truth, knows the truth, is seeing the truth in the Word of God, and, and resists that and says, no, I am resisting that. I am willfully going a different direction. Resisting the Spirit. So when we quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit and resist the Spirit, We end up powerless. And I believe for there to be revival in our land, for there to be revival in our hearts, we need to come back and we need to confess to God, God, I I have quenched your spirit in my life. I have grieved your spirit over and over again. I have honestly resisted your spirit and, and I am seeking forgiveness. You gave your spirit to be the best friend, the best tool, the, the best partner in my life, the strongest part of my life, the power of my life. And I have, I have put it on the bench. In fact, I have put the right fuel aside and I have put my own fuel in. And and it's dead, and it's not going anywhere, but we try to make it act like it's going places. So that explains what we do in churches. We, we have all these things to draw people in. It's the Spirit of God that draws. I'm not saying there, there isn't other things that God uses. It doesn't matter what you do. If, if there's no power of the Spirit, it's all going to be up to you. In Acts chapter 1, we said, you shall receive power. In 2 Timothy 3, 5, he said, they have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. No power. He said in in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul said, I did not come to you with great speech and eloquency. He said, I came to you in the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the Spirit of God that gave power. We need Spirit-filled parenting. That's what we need. We need the power of God's Spirit in our parenting. We need Spirit-filled homes. We need Spirit-filled workers. We need Spirit-filled teaching. We need the Spirit of God. And it's become the norm in Christianity to, to dress up the deadness And to act like this is the way it is, if we'd care as much about offending the Holy Spirit as we care about offending other people or getting our own way, 
we'd see revival. And it really comes back to Christians. Don't don't blame the left. Don't be, blame the progressives. Don't blame the politicians. They don't. Most of them don't even have the spirit of God. It's we as believers that have the spirit of God. We are the ones that ought to be making a difference in this world. And it comes back to us individually. And it means, you know, you, you can't just drive off away from the power of God's spirit and then just come back on. It's coming back and saying, God, I have grieved your spirit over and over again. I have resisted you. I have quenched your spirit. Most of my life... We may need to say, most of my life I've done it on my own. I haven't done it in dependence upon your spirit. You know, you know one of the, the, the prayers I pray the most is, God, I can't do this. Nearly every time before I get up and preach, I say, God, I can't do this. And the, 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 the times that I think I can do it, it's clearly evident God says, you won't do it. And it doesn't matter if people think it's okay. It matters what God thinks. And the Spirit of God, if we saw a revival of us being, God, I do not want to violate your Spirit. I don't want to quench your Spirit. I don't want to grieve your Spirit. I don't want to resist your spirit. That's what we need. You may be here today, and you may be resisting the Spirit of God. You know He is calling you to salvation, and you've been saying, no, no, no. Today's the day you need to lay down your rebel arms and say, God, I submit to you. I want your forgiveness of sin. You may be here today as a believer and still resisting. There's something God is clearly showing showing you this is my will for you. No, I don't see how it will work. No, no. And you're resisting him. Today's the day you need to say, God, I submit to your spirit. Maybe God's brought to your mind where you have grieved his spirit. Maybe even today, this week. Or maybe he says, you know what? You've left me sit on the bench. I'm so far. I'm in the locker room. I'm not even seeing the playing field. And you need to say, God, forgive me. You are the player. And I don't want to quench your spirit anymore. We need a revival of our relationship with the Spirit of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would make personal in every one of our lives the reality of your spirit in our lives. And Lord, I pray that the fear of you would truly control our hearts and minds. I pray that we would seek to walk in your spirit, that we no longer would quench or grieve or resist your spirit, and Lord, that we would then know the power of you (coughs) that enables us to be the men and women and young people that you desire us to be, that empowers us in our families and 
and our church and our community. And Lord, that there would be great, great power that would bring great, great glory to you. Because we are walking in your spirit. So Lord, personally work, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.